today on the Win Daily Show, I have Keith McDonald, CEO of KMI Gaming. Keith, how are you doing today? I'm good, Michael. How are you? I'm good. It's a good day to be alive. A little chilly here in New Jersey, as I told you, but it's, uh, I'd rather be here than... No, I guess I would rather be in Florida. But anyway, uh, Keith, I don't need to take up too much of your time. I'm wishing that my weather was a little bit nicer. But one thing that we always want to talk about here at Win Daily, obviously, we want to help people win money when it comes to gambling, when it comes to DFS, when it comes to their season long. We also want people to understand what it takes on just a daily basis, what it takes to win. We want people to be well-rounded human beings, right? So how do you try and win each and every day? I mean, obviously now that's a question that's more uh, pertinent than, than ever before, right? Because I think uh, it's, it's almost impossible for every individual to feel uh, positive all of the time right now. I think for me, feeling positive is, is yes, when I'm positive, that's good. And, and uh, you know, I'm throwing myself at new opportunities actually that are arising within the, within the gambling space. But equally recognizing that uh, when I'm not feeling so positive, you know, I, I try and flip that to, to feeling optimistic. You know, I know that um, times will get better, my mood will improve, and, and uh, you know, we will get through this, and we will get through this together. Um, very challenging times right now. We're bombarded by, uh, you know, a reminder daily, hourly of, of what we're facing here, which is unprecedented. Um, but equally, and, and you know, bringing that down to my level in terms of, you know, the industry I work in, I actually firmly believe we're going to come out of this stronger. You know, a stronger industry with a stronger product for our customers. So, um, on the whole, Michael, I'm positive. When I'm not positive, I'm optimistic, and I think that's how I get through the day. That's what you got to do, man. We have to be. I mean, we spread a lot of positivity over here at Daily, and the optimism is always very important too. But especially right now with what everything's going on, as you said, on a weekly, on a daily, on an hourly basis, we're reminded of what's going on. Going to the grocery store is scary now when that used to just be, hey, I need to go to the grocery store so I can pick up some milk. Now it's become a very, very much different situation that we've gotten ourselves into and are not gotten ourselves into, but are in. Um, no worries. Nobody heard your dog bark, so you're good there. But um, no, uh, so it's just, it's always very interesting to me and as you said you think that the industry and the space will come out stronger so i'm very excited and curious to talk about that but first i want to know how you got into this space uh, obviously you know it's a weird space to just kind of stumble into so i'm curious what the story is there yeah i mean i i came into this space 20 years ago in the regulated european market so prior to that for three or four years i've been in insurance um which is kind of the opposite end of the risk spectrum to, mm -hmm. to gambling if you like um, but it bored me to tears, quite honestly. And, and uh, when you're a guy in his early to mid twenties and you're struggling to get out of bed on a Monday morning, you know, you know something needs to be done. So um, I sought out a role within a sports betting company. I'm a huge sports fan. Uh, sports betting is my is my bag. I've extended into casino gambling and poker and other verticals since. But sports betting is really what what excites me and. Uh, you know, it was a case of just deciding that life's too short and I wanted to find something that I enjoyed. And, and I figured that if I enjoyed it, I'd probably stand a you know a good chance of being good at it because uh, you're doing something you love. You don't feel like you're working all the time, right? So um, I, I worked for three of the major sort of UK operators over a 12-year period, Michael. And, uh, you know, I really enjoyed it. That got me experience not only in the UK and Europe, but also in Southeast Asia. I was based in the Philippines for two years running a, uh, an Asian-facing uh, sports betting site and an iGaming site. Um, and subsequent to working for operators, um, I was going to all these uh, events around the world, iGaming conferences, 
Um, and I just liked hearing about some of the ideas that, that people had, new innovations, uh, new businesses, startups, um, ideas that I couldn't get involved with because I was employed, right? So I thought, well, actually, I'm going to throw myself out there individually, uh, you know, as a, a freelance, if you like, um, and, and see what I can do. And, and I kind of backed myself, Michael. I thought, you know, if this doesn't work, um, I hope, I like to think that I can use my experience to, to get an interview at one of these operators and get a job again. But I wanted to give it a go. And, and um, I'm really glad I did. And, and you know, what I've done over the last seven, eight, almost nine years now is uh, provide consultancy services to land-based gambling businesses looking to move online, uh, to businesses that are already online looking to move, move into new territories. Um, I've helped broker sponsorship deals, product licensing deals, small M&As within the industry, startups. Um, I've helped investors get involved. So, you know, there's, there's a wide range of activities that we at KMI Gaming now get involved with, but it's all, or most of it is under the umbrella of, of iGaming and sports betting. Mm -hmm. And that's really interesting. I mean, just, uh, you know, first off, shout out to you at 20 whatever years old to understand, you know, insurance sucks and I hate it and it's the worst. And I'm actually in a fight with an insurance company right now. So I really, really hate it. But that's on more <laughs> of a personal note. But no, it's, it's very, it's always great to see people, you know, take that risk, take that chance. Because worst case scenario, you try it out for a couple of years doesn't quite work out and you go right back into insurance you're making practically the same amount of money but at least you tried something else and you know, so many people will just say oh, i have a good in job i have a good job with this company i'm going to stick around to it you know, i really applaud you you know at that young of an age understanding now obviously not everybody's in that situation where they can but thankfully you were and you took advantage of it so i think that's great and as you said you've been around i mean essentially around the world at this point doing all these uh you know working in, in many of these markets starting in the regulated european market as you said you were at uh you were within the asian market for a little while with the u.s market finally becoming legal over just the last i mean i think the, the anniversary is coming up in about a month if i'm not mistaken almost exactly a month what have you seen in the first two years of the u.s market being regulated or, or legal uh, outside of Las Vegas compared to some of these other markets that you've been in uh, within that, I guess, that same time frame. That, that, that's a really, really good question. It's, it's quite a big question in terms of, you know, depending on what region I compare it with, there's, there's kind of a different answer. What, what I mean by that is historically or traditionally, I, I've come from the UK and Irish market, which very established, very regulated, you know, culturally integrated. I mean, mm -hmm. I remember back in the day going for the newspaper on a Saturday morning with my dad and on the way back from getting the newspaper, we'd go into the bookies, you know, and, and he'd have his bets and I'd watch him and he'd let me put the coins across the counter nice. and, you know, everything's fine. Um, so, you know, the UK and Europe where it's, it's so culturally entrenched uh, and regulated and taxed, um, it's interesting to see a market that, you know, within the States is so open in many ways, was so close to sports betting and gambling generally in, in that way. Um, and I'll come back to that in terms of the US in a second. If I then compare though with Asia, which is the other market that I have, you know, some experience with, um, it's really not a regulated market at all. So gambling is, you know, it, it, it again is very culturally ingrained. I mean, you see that if you go to Macau, uh, which is like Vegas and steroids, not from a partying point of view, but from a gambling point of view. So everything well, is serious. They drink water and caffeine at the table. It's not alcohol, you know, so they can retain a sharp mind. Uh, but they bet heavy. They bet really, really heavy. And, and uh, you know, gambling is, again, culturally ingrained. 
but it's never been regulated apart from a small number of businesses that are based in, in mainland China. So what you have is you have hundreds and thousands of offshore sites um, that are targeting, you know, billions of people uh, who want to get good value, uh, you know, on sports betting or casino or whatever. So again, both of those culturally ingrained, but either regulated or not regulated. When we then come to the States, um, it's always fascinated me in the States why gambling and, and eye gaming and sports betting has not been more widespread. Um, now, thankfully, as you say, two years on, it's, it's getting that way. Um, I'm amazed by how much has happened in those two years. I, you know, I, when, when Passport was repealed in May 2018, um, you know, a lot of people were saying, well, this is going to be state by state and it's going to take 10 years before you know, people are really talking about it. I mean, th there's more than 20 states now where there's either a bill being passed or sports betting is now legal. You know, and I think one of the positives to come out of COVID-19 is um, I think some of the resistance to iGaming from the land-based bricks and mortar casinos may go away because they may see that if they had an iGaming presence right now, while their casinos are locked down, they would have had some sort of a revenue stream. So it's interesting how things happen and why they happen, but I think we may see a bit of a step change in attitude to iGaming, uh, particularly from those who were, were against it in the past. Um, I guess the other thing to say from a culture point of view over here you know, the, the difference in some ways with sports betting is DFS, daily fantasy sports and fantasy sports before DFS, um, such a big part of society. And, you know, I'd, I'd go to sports bars or go out to a restaurant even with, my, with my, my family and I'd hear groups of people talking about their picks or their drafts or whatever. And, you know, to, to have that sort of passion for sports and desire to back your passion with entry fees or whatever that may be, but to not have sports betting was really alien to me. Um, but what it shows is it's a culture that, that wants, to, wants to engage. Um, they want to use data when they're backing their opinion. And that can extend to sports betting. And I, and I don't see an environment where uh, fantasy and sports betting you know, operate either one or the other. I think they can coexist. And I think fantasy can help sports betting from an acquisition point of view. Uh, from a retention point of view. And equally, I think sports betting can give uh, fantasy players more opportunity to back their opinion. A hundred percent. I think, you know, what you're saying about that aspect and thank you for the, 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 um, the explanation on both those markets, the Asian market, the, the European market, mostly based in Ireland, as you said, very funny story. I won't tell anybody that you put those bets in, don't worry. Um, and then now kind of looking at the U S market and what those opportunities are. I completely agree with you in both of these scenarios in both of these cases, betting and in fantasy daily or season long, it's about that engagement. It's about that extra level. If you've ever put money on a game, you know what it is. If you've ever had your fantasy team and uh, you know on you know let's talk about football on Monday, you have a guy, they have a guy, and you really need your guy to score more points and then, then you win. Just having that extra level of engagement and passion involved, I think, is very important. Um, so with you know we we've talked about iGaming gaming a lot too. So with that you know obviously with the rise of you know four G and now five G is coming relatively soon. Now we can place our bets in real time, essentially, these live bets, especially, how have you seen all of these markets and really just the sports gambling space increase just with the fact that now we have computers in our pockets, we don't have to go to a bookie and I can bet that, hey, I know Ohio State's down by 21 points, but I still think they're going to win by seven. 
you know, halfway through the second quarter. How do you look at that and how have you seen the explosion on that side of the market? Yeah, great question. So, uh, I mean, <clears throat> cutting to the chase in Asia, probably about 90% plus of sports betting turnover or handle is in play. So, you know, the, the Asians are notorious for, uh, and I don't like generalizing by saying the Asians, but I'm going to mm -hmm. do it because otherwise we'd be here for hours talking about each <laughs> country. But the, the agents are notorious for, for not having patience in terms of that instant gratification. So, uh, yes, they will have some pre-event bets. They'll put some, you know, stakes on before the game just to get going. It might be an outright, but the vast majority of their action comes after the whistle goes to, to, to signal the start of the game. Um, that's only possible by, as you say, technology that um, means the data feeds are almost in real time so that, you know, when I'm getting an updated price on my mobile phone, um, it's reflective of what's actually happening in the game, which I could be at, uh, you know, and take advantage of a, of a delay in the feed. Um, so, you know, technology has, has had to uh, catch up to be able to facilitate this this spike in interest for, for in-play gaming. Um, you know, the other difference in Asia, I guess, is the, the Asians don't like three horse races, right? So if there's two, two teams playing in a game, uh, they don't bet the tie. You know, they want the Asian handicap, so there's only one of two winners. And, and you know, that and in play is really where they stand out as having their preferences. Um, Europe and, and the UK and Ireland in particular doesn't like too far behind Asia in terms of in play. Uh, you know, depending on which operators you speak to. Uh, anywhere between 65 and 75 percent of sports betting handle is is in play. Um, if we look at Bet365, for example, they they had a big TV advertising campaign that was based around live betting, uh, even to the point where uh, you know during the a break in a game when the adverts come on TV, they'd have a live real time ad with the price of the player to score next. So you know they were at the higher end of that range. 75 percent was in play. Um, and, you know, that's the way I think with the, as the demographic shifts where, you know, the younger generations are known for having less and less patience and, and, you know, want more things to stimulate them. I think we can only see those, those percentages increasing. Mm -hmm. um, for me, you know, the U S um, is potentially set up better than any other place for in-play betting because of the stop start nature of the sports. Typically, um, you know, when I talk about in-play betting, on Asia and Europe, I'm talking primarily on football, soccer, right? So Premier League, La Liga, Bundesliga, you know, the big European leagues. Um, NBA is a huge betting league in Asia as well. Uh, but overall, cumulatively, football is a bigger betting sport than basketball. But if you move to the States and you, and you add to the mix uh, MLB, with, you know, nine innings, um, NFL, obviously, where it's four downs every 10 yards and 15 timeouts per 10 minutes, you know, I'm exaggerating for effect, but you're not that far off. Don't worry. <laughs> I, I do know more than I'm pretending there, but I'm, you know, but um, it's perfect for it, right? It's perfect for play by play. And it's not just the adjusted score or the, the adjusted winner. So, okay. I, I bet Kansas city before the game. Now they're behind, but I think they're going to come back because that's what they always do. So I'll bet them again. It's not just that it's the play by play aspect. Will the next, you know, will the next play be a, be a throw? Will it be a rush? Will it be a sack? You know, all these legitimate play-by-play -play markets that, that can be made available on this stop-start uh, aspect of sports. So, um, again, I think, you know, the technology needs to be there. Um, but I think the appetite, the desire 
and, and the nature of the sports means all the raw ingredients are there for, for perfect explosion of live betting in the US. I love that. And honestly, I do more live betting than I do pregame bets, honestly, just because I think I'm smarter than the average bear. So I think I know what's going to happen next. So, uh, you know, obviously, am I 50%? Maybe we'll leave it there. But, uh, you know, that's why I'm not a professional better. And that's why we have other people on the Wind Daily team to help you guys out with that. But in that aspect, I mean, as you said, in Asia, it's already up to 90%. In UK, Ireland, it's about 75%. With the the advent of 4G really only being within, what, the last five, six years, maybe, why, how did that rise so meteorically and so quickly to the point where almost in Asia, essentially nine of every 10 bets is on live betting? I mean, that obviously wasn't the case 10 years ago. So how, how do you infiltrate a market like that that quickly to make it just the, the lion's share in such a short period of time. And, and a lot of that for, for operators came down to the quality or not of the data mm-hmm. feed providers they were getting. So uh, they, they obviously had to be getting the information from somewhere. So they'd be working with you know, somebody like uh, Genius Sports or BetRadar or Perform you know, mm-hmm. uh, to get this information. And you're right though, you know, the, the, they haven't had the ability to effectively deliver a real time product so what these data feed providers and and platform providers have done before they can do that is to build in um, danger ball protections so basically quite a lot of times where they suspend the market Mm -hmm. so if i take an example in in, you know in soccer or or whatever um if a player is running through on a goalkeeper you know um well chances are he'll probably score so as soon as something looks like there may be a goal the market will get suspended There'll be, you know, there'll be no opportunity to bet. the 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 delay from the point of suspension through to the odds will be will be minuscule. So, but they've had to do all this um, because the technology is not perfect. It's not real time. I think as technology improves, um, you know, it's it's going to become as real time an experience as possible. And as you say, with four G and ultimately five G. If we can get around all the challenges around that, then uh, you know it's 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 going to be it's going to be great. I'm very excited for that and to see how that happens. And yes, I do see all the time kind of the the you know I'm FanDuel and DraftKings. You see a bunch of locks, and you're like, wait a second, why can't I bet that? It's like, well, because they clearly you know they're, they're going to try and save as much money as they can, and, and they're going to have to do these certain things to make sure everything makes sense. And so with that, um, one more thing I would like to talk about a little bit before we really drive into KMI a little bit is esports. What have you seen on the esports side, especially in areas like like Europe, like Asia, like here in the United States, and the betting aspect of it, especially now understanding it, you know, during this coronavirus pandemic, it's the only game in town. Yeah, esports. I actually moderated a panel on this this morning, and and uh, I've never heard so much about esports as I have in the last four weeks. I wonder yep. why that is, right? <laughs> um, you know, I mean, esports. Esports is not new. Uh, I don't need to tell you that. It, I mean, it's been around for a decade. It's been around from a betting perspective. Sorry, it's been around for longer than a decade. But I mean, in terms of the, 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 the generation we're talking about now, uh, it's been around and talked about as a betting sport, inverted commas, for five years at least. Um, I remember one of the gaming shows in Europe, Pinnacle, got up and said, uh, actually, the last few months, esports has been our seventh biggest sports. And you think, okay, uh, for betting, you think, okay, well, big deal. But when you, when you looked at it and you thought, wait a second, if you take the four U.S. sports, golf, tennis, cricket, you know, s- somewhere esports is usurping and mm. displacing a pretty big sport, you know, for betting. And, and it did. 
And I think it was that, that announcement and the PR that went with that that got the industry to really sort of sit up and take notice. And it's, and it's been kind of trundling along since then. You know, we go to, to ICE in London once a year and G2E in Vegas and other places, and you'll see maybe one more esports betting solutions provider each year than there was the previous year. Um, in some other verticals, we've seen fads, right? We've seen like uh, binary options betting or something else come and go. But this has kind of slowly, steadily got bigger. And, you know, my, my feeling at the time was, uh, well, it's a demographic thing because, you know, it's going to become more popular as the younger demographic comes, comes through. Um, of course, we've had a catalyst in the last two months that has uh, kind of helped that on its way. And, and uh, you know, as, as operators scramble to fill their, their, their front end user face or interface. Um, and, you know, we, we've dug into it and, and um, you know, it, the, the big question for me and, and what seems to be the challenge is around some of the issues we were talking about before, Michael, which is, you know, the, the technology delays, the integrity of the data, you know, what, what do we know about esports in terms of, say, compared to other traditional sports where everything is highly regulated? I'm not saying it's not regulated, but everything is highly regulated in these other sports as official data providers. You know, how can we, as an operator, stand behind providing these odds? So, um, you know, that, that's the challenge. With that being said, every single operator I speak to and every single platform provider I speak to is scrambling to integrate an esports solution if they don't already have one. Mm-hmm. And they're putting it alongside horse racing where that exists, table tennis, which has become the new biggest sport in the world, uh, you know, uh, football from Belarus, Nicaragua, yeah. I think the Tajikistan League kicked off this week. Mm-hmm. Interesting time to kick off. Uh, you know, but it's in there and it's in there with virtual sports, it's in there with live dealer backer at RNG slots, obviously. So um, my, my personal view is that this, this will help establish esports betting amongst a segment of customers that it would have taken longer to do so uh, by virtue of what's happening now. And then when you add to that the demographic, you know, shift as the younger generation comes through, um, it's going to become bigger quicker, I think. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind anyway, it's, it's going to become big. Uh, but I think with what's going on now, it's going to become bigger quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that, that's the same in Asia as it is in Europe, as I think it, you know, it will be here. That's one thing about esports, right? It's, it is truly, truly global. Absolutely. And so I, I totally agree with you. It will get bigger, quicker. Obviously, there will be some runoff. People like myself, I'm turning to Twitch. I'm turning to these places just to see literally any level of competition from anybody doing anything at this point. I'm, I'm going stir crazy at this point. But with that, have you seen, is, is esports betting bigger in particular markets around the world, um, i.e. Asia versus North America? Asia, I mean, I would say yes in, in Asia now, but that, that's not necessarily reflective of the appetite for esports, mm-hmm. um, more reflective of the, you know, where, where betting is from a, you know, an iGaming perspective in Asia versus where, you know, it's still relatively embry- embryonic and, and evolving here. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's substantial in Asia. I mean, it's, it's, it would be in the top seven, um, mainly because in Asia, betting on, on uh, football being soccer and NBA um, and basketball, those two between them account for about 30% of betting on sports. So wow. there, there isn't quite the spread in Asia that there are across other sports, uh, you know, um, in, in, in other parts of the world. 
um, and so it's easier to get higher. But esports betting certainly would be would be bigger in Asia now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Um, so tell us a little, a little bit about what you do personally, KMI Gaming. Um, what exactly, you know, as you said, you've been in this industry for a very long time now, kudos to you, and you've been able to kind of do this thing on your own, thankfully. What exactly are you doing and how are you helping brands uh, all over the world? Yeah, I mean, we started off as a consultancy and that was, you know, to build on the experience I had as a managing director for, for two or three global operators in the world. And, you know, the idea was to help them with, you know, strategy to help them with market expansion to help them um you know bring in new verticals product verticals whatever you know b- building on my experience and what i did from running the pnl of a you know of a sports betting and, and my gaming site um the consultancy was basically to you know let's replace the salary right so we needed to get retainer fees coming in um with that being said i do not like the word consultant because when i think consultant i think of a guy in a tie giving a presentation on a, on a whiteboard and, and uh, i like whiteboards but i'm not that's not the sort of um uh consultant inverted mm-hmm. commas that i am i'm i'm far more operational and i'm i think i'm far more reflective of you know tell me what your problem is and we'll find a way to solve it whether it be i need payment solutions in india or i need a marketing director for iowa or i need you know a a platform provider for Southeast Asia or whatever, whatever it may be. And we've built the business. I've got, you know, a couple of resources here in the States and also in the UK around that model. So, um, you know, we, we like to help operationally tactically with, with problems, but equally help, you know, with expansion, whether it be geographically or regionally. Personally, uh, I also have um, a seat on the board of a, a sports betting business in the UK, which is slightly different from traditional businesses uh, called Football Index, which is it's kind of stock market meets sports betting. So you build a portfolio of players and uh, the value of that goes up and down based on supply and demand. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm a, a broker as well in terms of helping Asian operators to do sponsorship deals with it might be an English soccer team mm-hmm. or, you know, we get a brand ambassador from the NBA or something like that. Uh, through to small M&As and, and product licensing deals. So I may have an operator saying to me, we want to move to India or we want to move to Southeast Asia, but we have no idea what technology to use. Well, I'll help them with that beauty parade based on understanding their their strategy their strategy and their objectives. And if, if they want to help them with negotiation and, and other aspects too. So um, it's not an easy question to answer succinctly. I wish I rehearsed that better. Yeah. Uh, but what I, I would say... Great. What, what, what I would say is it all comes under the umbrella of, of sports betting and iGaming, really. It all mm-hmm. comes back down to that, and, and we, we monetize our, our network and our, and our knowledge in various different ways. And so you bring up the two points that I was going to ask, the network and the knowledge. Obviously, your expertise is very high. You've been in the industry for 20 years, and you haven't just been in the industry, but you've do, been doing a lot within the industry. So you've been able to develop this, uh, you know, this, through your experiences, you've been able to develop a lot of knowledge, as well as you've been able to develop a lot of connections. And through networking, it sounds like, you, as you said, you, you know somebody in India, or you know somebody who knows somebody in India that can help that company over in China get to India. You know, so there's there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of people that you have to know to do this. How have you been able to develop an extensive network? And I don't want the, well, you've been in the industry for 20 years, you're going to meet some people. I mean, clearly you're going above and beyond at that point. So how have you been able to develop this extensive of a network to help essentially when you say you can help Asian markets um, do uh, find sponsorship deals versus, um, you know, you can, you can help them move their entire operation to another country. 
So, yeah, I mean, uh, particularly in Asia, you can't, uh, sorry about my dog, I think somebody's just arrived. Um, you, you can't um, sustain a network remotely. So, um, you know, I was based there in 2008, 2009. That's how I got to know people down there. Um, and subsequent to leaving Asia, I made a point of, and leaving my, my, my last employer, I made a point of returning to Manila in particular, but other parts of Asia as well, at least five or six times a year. And, I, and I'd go down there, you know, for, for two weeks at a time. I'd do meetings over breakfast, lunches, dinners, um, you know, which, which in Asia really is the only way to do business, build trust and, and get things done. And it was amazing to me how, um, you know, I could be speaking to somebody over Skype for two months and then that first breakfast or that first lunch, they tell me something. And I think, why didn't you tell me that before? But it's, you know, people are just more comfortable mm-hmm. telling you, you know, important information or sensitive information when you're, when you're sat there in front of them. So um, Asia in particular, I put a real emphasis on, uh, you know, building a network and, and specifically building a network before trying to monetize it. You know, it wasn't kind of, hey, I'm Keith. Yeah, I've, you know, I've got a family. I've got two kids. So what do you need? And, and trying to sell them something. It was more, you know, really trying to establish uh, relationships, get trust and, and see that I knew a little bit about what I was talking about before making any recommendations. Mm-hmm. Um, the UK and Europe, I was sort of immersed in that anyway. So that was about just going to shows and some of the dull stuff. And, you know, I was, I was uh, uh, employed there for 11 or 12 years. So you, you, you just do build a network that way. I think what I'm trying to do in the US now, and I've been in the US for the last two years, um, is apply what I did in Asia, but, but to here. And, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, that there's quite a lot of shows here now. You know, in fact, not as many Americans that I saw went to ICE in London, which was usually a, a guarantee this year because there's so many shows stateside. Um, but I go to the shows and I don't go really specifically for any reason. You know, I go to G2E in Vegas. I go to the SBC event in New York and New Jersey. I, I was going to go to ICE North America and New Orleans and, um, you know, various others. And it's, yeah, I may have one or two specific objectives that I want to achieve, but it's more about, you know, getting to the events, walking the floor, just meeting as many people as possible. And, and you know, just then the next time I see them, it's not a new face. You know, gradually you become um, a little bit more entrenched in the, in the industry over here. And, you know, I respect the fact that um, th- there's a concern that, you know, there's all these Europeans coming over to the States who, think they know everything. And we've, you know, we've seen, you know, that there's a lot, certainly on the software side, a lot of them have come in to support some of the, the ambitions of the land-based casinos. Um, but equally, there's a lot of different things about this market, you know, and, and it's really important that the Europeans who've got a technical knowledge of their market and some general stuff take time to understand, you know, what a parlay is, what a teaser is, you know, understand about the US sports. Betting on US sports is different from betting on, on the UK or European sports. So, uh, and I've just picked two easy examples. It's a lot deeper than that too. Um, and I think only by doing that, then you can be credible um, so that they see you understand where they're coming from before you make a recommendation based on your experience. I like that. I like that a lot. And it, it makes sense. Again, you know, there, there have been, I've had many of these conversations, not quite with people like you because your experience and, and exactly what you do in the industry is a little different, but there has been, have been a lot of conversations I've had where it's, yeah, you know, you have all these Europeans coming over, you have all these people from the UK coming over because it's been regulated longer, because they've already made some of those mistakes over there. So we can kind of bypass step, you know, 
B, C, and D, and really just go jump in at E. Have you seen those types of things, especially with what you've been doing in the last couple of years where, hey, we made all these mistakes in the Asian and UK market, European market. Let's, let's you know, we've seen them fail and then we've seen what works. Let's just jump right to what works. I, I have on the product side, uh, on the marketing side, yes. I, I, I've seen like s- strong efforts to take on board mistakes that were made. Um, the one area that frustrates me, I have to say, is on the regulatory and taxation side. Um, you know, and I and I look at as states roll out, you know, their their own frameworks which they're entitled to do, and I look at some of them and I think, how can an operator possibly expect to make money under this framework? Mm-hmm. And you know, there, there's a there's a perfect blueprint sitting there for U.S. regulators to look at called the European Union, where within Europe over the last ten years. Some member states have rolled out a really attractive, thought through, effective regulatory and taxation system for sports betting operators and like gaming companies, and others haven't. And the net effect of, of not doing it is you're, no commercial entities are going to come to your market. You're going to drive the offshore market, which you won't get a tax from, because those who do pay the taxes that you're charging can't afford to be competitive. So customers in your country, France or wherever, I didn't want to name an example, but I have, uh, if they want to get value on a bet, they'll go offshore because they're not going to bet with a company who's paying your taxes because they, they can't be competitive. So there's a really effective blueprint there you know, within the European Union that I think states can look at in terms of what member states in Europe got it right and what ones got it wrong. I think you know, the UK, although it's getting a lot more uh, rigid at the moment and, and there's fines being issued and compliance is getting tougher, they generally have done a pretty good job. Taxation is reasonable. Um, and I think New Jersey's done a pretty good job, by the way. Um, you know, but then Thank there's you. some other... I, I, I do, I think... do something right, man. We well, have to I think, do something I think right. at the moment it's, it's the one that other states should be looking at. Um, you know, and, and I'd like to think that over time, uh, you know, three to five years or whatever, there will be a, a coming together, not in terms of how it's implemented, but in terms of the structure of regulation, taxation, compliance, because one state's going to work and one isn't, and everyone wants theirs mm-hmm. to work, right? Yeah, it's, it's New Jersey has, I mean, we've been at the forefront. I think we were technically the second state, but we were, we obviously brought it to the Supreme Court and said, hey guys, this doesn't make sense. Uh, you know, Governor Christie, think of him as you will, uh, you know, he did that and we, we appreciate that from him. And I do yeah. think, again, you know, we are doing it, you know, I don't know if correct is the right word, but we're doing it right and we're doing it uh, in a, a good way, in my opinion. And I've, I've only heard good things, especially here in the state, the amount of handles. Uh, I think just the, I mean, before everything obviously went crazy, we were already starting to beat out Vegas in certain months, um, you know, so clearly people are understanding and there's money here and people want to do that. I do eventually think, as you said, in that three to five year span, there will be something where either other states see, hey, these couple states have it right and this is working for them. I don't think every state is the same, but I do think at some point either that's going to happen or the federal government's going to step in and pick essentially whoever did it best and then implement that across all the states, which That'd be nice. it would be nice, but it also is kind of frustrating because now many of these other states have to figure out how to do this all over again. So that's a whole nother argument, I think. And, and that's where you come in and hopefully that's where you can help. Um, well, if they, I can think... address the, if they can address the limitations that exist because of the Wire Act at the same time, that'd be great too. Well, 
again, that's another conversation and that's not something I'm smart enough to comment on either. So I will leave that be. But um, what, what other opportunities do you see here in the United States other than the fact that, yeah, the regulatory can, can be fixed? Is there anything else that you think, again, with the iGaming, with the potential of 5G coming to some of these places soon, how can you see the U.S. market growing in a direction that maybe you don't see the other, the other markets that you've worked in grow or maybe just something that we could do better over here? I mean, the, the one area for me that, that I look at, and I think actually the next 12 to 24 months, we're going to see a lot of movement in this, is how the tribes embrace iGaming and sports betting and how uh, land-based casinos generally, whether tribal or not, um, you know, embrace it. And, and, and I'm know, sorry I, to cut I, you off. Tribes meaning Native Americans, correct? Correct. Okay, cool. Just wanted correct. to clarify. Yes. Um, because, you know, to, to date we've seen... Um, primarily a, a resistance um, and, and it's a resistance based on fear that you know iGaming is, is going to be a threat to their footfall through the casinos and you know I, I, I've been through that when I, when I worked for the UK tow to the UK uh, in 2002 um, believe it or not I, I, was, I was brought in to, to launch their online site which was quite quite late because um, we were the fourth biggest bookie in the UK and we didn't have our own site we had a joint venture prior to that but in that board meeting, they said to me, look, Keith, we, um, we think the internet's a fad, uh, but we've got you in here because we're getting pressure from external forces to at least be considering it. And, you know, it's kind of, well, it's very funny now. And, and uh, you know, we quickly became the, the most dominant channel, uh, mainly by virtue of organic growth of the internet, not because of anything miraculous that, you know, I or the team did. Um, but it's, it, it was a fear that drove that comment. You know, it was a fear of, of not knowing how their existing business would be affected. And, and you know, I think that's what I see here with, with some of the Native American um, casinos and, and, uh, and others and other, you know, just, just land-based casinos. Whereas if they really think about it and think, you know, we can, we can own this market. Like Hard Rock in Florida could, could own it here, or, you know, but by... I mean, think of the CRM opportunities. You know, you, you, you do whatever you do on their iGaming platform, come back, we'll, we'll comp you a, you know, a week in our penthouse suite with you know, dinners, you know, all, the, all the amenities they can make available that iGaming Pure Plays can't do. You know, and they, they can really tie the two together. Um, so you know, I, I think as they start to understand that, look, this is not going away, you know, the genie is popped, um, and, and get their heads around that and really embrace it. I think that's an opportunity for the U.S. bigger than anywhere else because of the, the role that casinos play in this country, land-based casinos. Mm -hmm. I, I, I really like the way you say that. And I think, it, again, just educating us on what's happened in the past, I think is very important because that's, I don't believe history is due to repeat itself unless you know what you're doing and how you're trying to do it. So again, you've, you've been through this. Um, you were correct that the internet was not a fad and it always makes me laugh when hearing about that. Uh, but it's, it's always, it's always enjoyable to kind of hear those stories and see, you know, how did other people do things wrong? Let's just not do that. We can skip a couple steps. And with that, I guess, you know, during this national and worldwide pandemic, it's very unfortunate. We don't want to look at anything in a, you know, I don't want to say, I, I like taking advantage of situations, whether good or bad. So I've been able to talk to people like you. I don't go out and network as much, unfortunately, because I can't go into New York City because I don't want to get sick and I'm not supposed to leave my house. But I've been able to connect with people like you who also aren't able to leave their house. So I think I've done something like, 
I don't know, 75 to 100 different interviews, interviews of this nature at this point over the last five or six weeks. So I'm trying to take advantage of the situation. What are you doing and what are you telling or helping your clientele with to say the same thing? Like, yes, right now, people are not going to come to your casinos because they're not allowed. There isn't any sports going on, so they can't really bet on many of these games. Now we're looking at esports. What are you telling your clients and how are you helping them to not just stay status quo, but become better during this time? So that way, when we come out of it, as we said, that scale is going to rise significantly. Yeah, so, so a lot of the... Um operators let's say iGaming that, that I speak to and, and you know I, I won't I won't pigeonhole this on a regional level because I think this is a, a general topic but reflects the conversations I've been having is the number one question is you know how can we we know we're not going to get to 100% of, of our typical revenues on sports betting right now that's impossible but if we can get a 35 or 40% that's really good how do we do it so it's been speaking to them in terms of analyzing what they currently have, uh, you know, by way of product on their front page, on their whole navigation system and plugging gaps. And, you know, I mean, just for the sake of illustration, to be obvious, you know, if they don't have an esports product, if they don't have virtual sports, if they don't have, um, you know, whatever it may be, more RNGs, you know, just ways of, ways of plugging that gap for real money gaming. The one thing I say though, um, to most of my operators is now is not the time I don't think to try too hard to be aggressively increasing that conversion from uh, you know sports players to casino you know at the end of the day this is a this is a national sorry this is a global crisis uh, you know everyone's feeling it most in their pocket as well as you know everything else all the direct health issues so yes you know we know that a certain percentage of, of players who have come in, who have been acquired through sports betting, convert across to slots or blackjack or roulette or whatever. Um, and I think it's fair to maintain that level of effort to convert, but not as some I have seen, not in the States, I hasten to add, and not in, in the UK, but some I've seen where they ramp up that activity and really try and pressurize people who aren't prone to converting into converting. I think Customers have long memories and, and you know, there, there are some operators who are uh, behaving extremely ethically right now. They're, they're producing free-to-play games that are giving customers the opportunity to think about their teams. It's like, you know, it's like a relief. Oh, I have an opportunity to think about the Kansas City Chiefs here or think about Liverpool or think about whatever and, and apply my knowledge in a, in a quiz, you know. Customers will remember that, you know, and, and um, so, so yes, we, we understand it's a business and we're trying to plug revenue gaps, but what else can we do to, to fill the hours for people and, and give them an excuse to think about their team? Exactly. And there's really, there's nothing you can do. As you said, it's impossible to hit that hundred percent revenue. If anyone figured it out, let's, let's give them a medal and something, but it, there's just so it's just, I mean, this has never happened in human history, right? Where the entire world essentially shuts down. Um, you know, the only two days in the American sports calendar that don't have sports are the day before and after the baseball all-star game. After that, I mean, every other day we'll have a sport in some capacity in it. I mean, so not having, you know, sports for, three uh, you know a month up to two months potentially three months i mean at least june 8th we know june 8th isn't is a date we can look towards so you know potentially only up to you know a little under three months that we can have no sports but i mean we've had some of those guaranteed dates like the ufc get pushed back already yeah so i guess yeah. we kind of have to wait and see unfortunately but it is what it is and, and we appreciate you and what you do keith any any last words you want to leave us with 
No, I mean, just building on that, I, you know, I've seen, I've seen some really, I want to, I want to finish on a positive note, you know, do, do, I'm a big golf fan myself and, and, um, you know, I, I saw that piece and it, it warmed me to see that piece on, on, you know, this morning and, um, you know, the, the Premier League in England are, I've got a big meeting tomorrow and I know they're looking at really creative ways to, to try and get the season finished um, in, a, in a, you know, shortened period of time, but it could effectively result in a, in a festival of football. You know, you'd like to think that maybe the NBA is looking at something as well. I saw a really encouraging piece from uh, Mr. Fauci, um, uh, you know, Donald Trump's uh, sparring partner, you know, the Daily um, the daily talks, but he, mm-hmm. he put a really encouraging piece out today. And, you know, this is the health guy saying, yeah, we can get sports back on, but it has to be in a closed environment. Well, I'll take that right now, you know, and, and, and give us a date because as you say, that's all, I think if we can see a date, it's, it's the light at the end of the tunnel, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's uh, we know it's not going to be this month. We know it's probably not going to be next month, but if we have a date to think about, and we know then the players are getting ready for that before then, we know they're going back to training in whatever healthy capacity that is. Um, then it's a move in the right direction. And I'm, I'm really encouraged by some of the sounds I'm hearing on that basis. I am too. And I really do think that there is a lot of possibility and there will be a lot of action over the next couple months. Um, you know, I, hopefully everyone is taking to this self-quarantine shelter in place and, you know, the spread dies down, which I think it has been, which is very good. Obviously being up here in the Northeast, the New Jersey, New York area has been hit hardest here in the United States, which is unfortunate. But I do think, yes, there, there are going to be opportunities. And I do think that there will be sports. It will come back when it does, how it looks might be a little wacky, especially with baseball and, you know, the NBA, how they might do a, you know, Hey, what if they give us March madness in May? Like, honestly, I'd take it like whatever at this point, anything, give me competition, give me something to bet on, give me something to watch. I've watched so many old games over the last (laughs) month and a half. Like I'm going to continue to do it and I'm still going to love it. But at some point I only can watch the giants beat the Patriots in the super bowl two different times. I don't know, 100 to 150 times. So it is what it is. But Keith, this was absolutely fantastic. Keith McDonald, uh, CEO, I apologize, of KMI Gaming. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you very much, Michael. Appreciate it.